Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's tryexpressvpn.com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com slash space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9... Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again. Thank you for joining us on the podcast we call Space Nuts. I'm Andrew Dunkley and he's Fred Watson from the Australian <coughs> Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. Nice. I could equally say he's Andrew Dunkley, so there yes. you go. <laughs> nice to see you again. <clears throat> Now, uh, this week, we're going to go to Mars without going mad, which yeah. is an interesting question, and I think I know where this is coming from, but we'll get to that in a tick. Um, the oldest object in the uh, solar system uh, could be an asteroid, and the, I'm, ga- I'm guessing there's an interesting story behind that. And a question from uh, Graham about a, a green flash, and we may know what that was, Graham, so we'll get to your question shortly. First of all, though, Fred, uh, getting to Mars, and uh, we're certainly looking at it, and it's um, it's a mission that um, I think has sort of been pushed back, but they're still wanting to send people there. But one of the problems might be um, psychological. I'm guessing that's where we're headed to, with this issue. Uh, it is, that's right. Um, so it's, you know, I think you and I have talked before about um, some of the projects which are designed to simulate <clears throat> what it will be like working on Mars. And there are quite a number of them. There's um, one in Colorado. There's one uh, which is um, near, well, it's near the top of the, of the uh, Mauna Loa volcano in Hawaii. Uh, <clears throat> that's called High Seas, <laughs> which is a, an acronym. I think the high is, is Hawaii. I can't remember what the seas is, but there certainly isn't much sea up there, although you can see the sea from from Mauna Loa. Um, so that's the idea is to <clears throat> put teams of people in um, in a sort of so, not solitary confinement, but in a confined volume of space with all the equipment that they need, and but keep them there for long periods. And um, these missions have you know they've varied in their length. Uh, I think 40 or 50 days is the is the minimum. Uh, typically, they're a year or so. Um, I think the longest one was 500 days, if I remember rightly, and that might have been a Russian one, if I remember. But the um, these tests are designed to to show how well people will cope with the the confinement of being in a tin can on its way to and from and during the time on the planet Mars. Because we are talking a small space, multiple human beings for many months. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Uh, It is, that's right. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's it's bound to be... um, a, 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 a much smaller vehicle than, for example, the International Space Station. The, the space station, which is in many ways a test bed for 
how humans can survive the various hazards of spaceflight, including the psychological ones. Space station is luxurious. It's got kind of got bedrooms or at least private sleeping quarters and, and various different environments. They're like different rooms in the, in the space station. Uh, one of the other important things uh, that contrasts the space station with uh, or life on the space station with life on a journey to Mars is that you've basically got instant communications yes. on the space station. I was going to bring this up, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're just, um, you know, you, you're only three or 400 kilometres above the Earth's surface. You're always in contact with the ground, and it's real contact. You, you can have a proper conversation, um, not not just with the, um, you know, the people in mission control and places of that sort, the, the, the official side of it, but also with your family. Um, you, can, you can speak with your family members and um, it also means that if anything goes wrong <clears throat> excuse me there's always somebody on the end of on the end of a phone effectively yes. uh, to guide you through whatever it is you need to do for uh, and, well and those are the sorts of things that don't really get talked about but there would be a team of doctors psychologists yeah. psychiatrists on the ground ready at any given moment to you know, deal to with provide problem. That's right. So, so I guess that you know, it divides into three things: that you've got um, that um, assistance that you might need if something physically goes wrong with the space station. You've got that. That's a fantastic backup, knowing that there's somebody there who can help you uh, reload a module on the outside or whatever it is. Then there's there's kind of physical medical support. So uh, somebody has an appendix issue or, or gets a virus or whatever, although that's a bit unlikely in the sterile atmosphere of the space station. But whatever it is, you've got medical support. And you've also got, exactly as you say, you've got the psychological support as well. You know, if you get halfway through your mission and you're feeling a bit glum about the fact that you're missing everybody, um, there is probably really good support for you, which you can carry on in a normal conversation. But of course, on the way to Mars, that is not going to happen. Uh, for a start, you're going to be in a small volume. Uh, it's very unlikely you'll get any privacy whatsoever mm -hmm. uh, in comparison with the space station. Uh, and you've, you might have, you know, up to a up to an hour of delay if you make a comment before you get an answer back. <laughs> and this is really significant stuff. Um, it's. Uh, it makes it very, very different from uh, from the experience on the space station. And of course, what makes it different from uh, one of these simulated missions on the slopes of Mauna Loa or, where, or wherever it is, is once again, you've got instant communications, although I think they simulate the long delays on those, <clears throat> on those uh, missions. But the bottom line is, well, there is another thing, of course, you're feeling um, normal gravity. Uh, yes. which actually contributes a lot to your well-being, the fact that you, you're behaving in exactly the same way as you, you are normally in terms of gravity. Uh, but the bottom line is always going to be that if things go terribly wrong, there's, there's help right at hand. People will come and assist you. And that is simply not the case on the flight to Mars. Mm. So the, um, I think the bottom line of this is, this is reporting on some research that's been done on the psychology of, uh, of these uh, future Mars missions. Um, the bottom line is that there needs to be much more uh, research done, basically to just to understand what the, the psychological effects of this 
extreme isolation will be on uh, people voyaging to Mars. And we've got about, I suppose we've got maybe 15 years to do that before we start sending people to Mars. And uh, it, it basically means that when they do the selection process, they're going to have to do a lot of uh, deep psychological analysis. They're going to have to, you know, we talk about the right stuff when it came to the early astronaut program. But in this case, they're going to have to have that. They're yeah, really, it's got to be. And when you be say we're 15 stuff. years away, uh, that means that the people are, that are going to Mars are probably teenagers right now. Yeah, they're at school, that's right. Yeah, so they're already here. Yeah, indeed. They don't know it yet, probably, or some of them they're, might. They might be thinking, well, that's what I want to do. So they certainly will aspire to it. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So uh, it's quite true that... Um, there's going to be a lot of this, um, you know, psychological screening. Uh, yeah. I mean, you and I are thrown out of the first hurdle because oh, we're, absolutely. we're I'd, space nuts, so I'd we're go, clearly not. I'd, gonna... go, I'd go to jelly. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, the thought of being, I, the, the way I imagine it is there'd be a lot of euphoria and excitement and, and attention in the build-up, uh, right yeah. up to the launch, you know, the adrenaline, the, the fact, and then you, you get... Um, um, out of the Earth's atmosphere, you do a couple of laps around the planet and then slingshot, whatever it is they're going to do. And then once things start to settle down, that's when I reckon it'll get hard. Yeah. Once you yeah, get when, over when the excitement, once you knuckle down, once you've yeah. had your 57th, you know, freeze-dried cat food or whatever it is, <laughs> you're, going, you're going to have to face, face reality, really. That's where it's going to get tough. I think you've hit. I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there, Andrew. They should send cats. <laughs> never, mind, never mind humans. Cats are sussed out. They'd have no problem. Yeah, and, and the famous <laughs> Mandu would probably lead the pack. Yeah, who is currently fast asleep on the lounge not far away from me. So I'm not going to prod him to say anything. He'll just sleep through it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's a, it's a cold, cold day, so you can't yeah. blame him. Yeah, All right, well, we, there'll be more to talk about as we get closer and closer to this uh, this journey. But uh, at this stage, yeah, there's a lot to think about and uh, a lot of things to, uh, to, to, to consider. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor, ExpressVPN, rated number one by TechRadar. Uh, this is the one I use. I've been using it for a couple of years, and I love it. When I joined ExpressVPN, they were, they were brand new, uh, new to the market, but uh, I read a lot of reviews and did a lot of comparisons, and there was just something about their, their business model that I particularly liked and a couple of years down the track honestly can't complain their interface is very easy to use their their service is second to none uh, I've had to contact them a couple of times about um, certain things that I wanted to do and they were brilliant so you may be wondering why I do need a VPN at all it's all about privacy uh, do you really want big tech companies governments and others knowing uh, what's going on with your online activity. Even if you're having nothing to hide, it just feels downright creepy. Uh, I think you'll agree. And governments are getting more and more interested in what you're doing every day. And so, yeah, protecting your privacy is what VPN is all about. And how often do you uh, run across websites that you want to get information from only to find that they're geo-blocked? 
This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, so protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com slash space. That's T-R-Y-E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash space for three months free with a one-year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now... Back to the show. Zero G and I feel fine. Space nuts. Now, Fred, uh, we're going to talk about 514-107-2015 BZ509, uh, or BZ for the Americans, BZ for short. Uh, this is an asteroid. What's interesting is they think it might be the oldest object in the solar system. So it's eclipsed you, Fred. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, I... I... I've had that, um, you know, that accolade for many years now. But <laughs> um, it's nice to be eclipsed. Uh, you you, um, you read its uh, you read its name very well. I thought it's uh, it's uh, rather a, a a complex and lengthy uh, designation. BZ or BZ is is probably the the best way to refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an asteroid. Um, it's about three kilometres across. Uh, and it orbits in the same bit of the solar system that Jupiter orbits. So it is basically following Jupiter's orbit, but it goes the other way around. Oh. Yeah. That's this a bit is weird, isn't it? That is very weird because nearly everything in the solar system, except for BZ, uh, goes uh, in orbit uh, anti-clockwise as seen from above the Earth's North Pole. That's the the way everything rotates. And the reason for that, just as an aside, is that that's the kind of fossilized rotation of the the original gas cloud from which the solar system formed. Um, It's the conservation of angular momentum is what operates this. So um, how did this little object uh, get to be going the other way. I'm and guessing it got bumped or came from somewhere else. Came from somewhere else. That's the, uh, that is the upshot of this. There's been a study carried out by astronomers at uh, L'Observatoire de Côte d'Azur, which is en français in France. Nice. Yeah, a lovely place. Yeah, um, And they've studied this object and have concluded from its orbit that it, it is almost certainly... Uh, from a, another solar system. In other words, it's a it's an object that somehow strayed into our solar system, probably when the planets were forming. So, and, so and hang that, on a sec. So this is another one because we um, we yeah. we've already talked about the first one ever seen, the SD. Oumuamua. Space duty. Right. Space duty. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> now we've got BZ. So this is the second one we've found. Yeah, except uh, that the thing about Oumuamua, the the one that flew through the inner solar system last October, that didn't stop. That no. just, you know, it was an an alien object. It wasn't captured. Past. It was not captured by the sun's gravity. Mm. Whereas this uh, is a permanent member of the solar system, um, and the thinking seems to be that. Um, this object probably was formed in one of the sun's neighbors 
in the gas cloud in which the solar system originated. And we, we've spoken before about the fact that the sun was almost certainly not an individual, you know, the only member of this gas cloud to form, uh, that uh, it, it would have had siblings, uh, which have now drifted away. And actually it's part of one of the projects I'm involved with to try and find some of the, the sun's uh, brothers and sisters uh, that were formed in the same gas cloud. And that will be done by chemical analysis. Uh, but this, yeah, this, um, uh, object almost certainly formed in a neighboring solar system, which is now long gone, but was captured uh, by the sun. It's, um, it is uh, not unique in the sense that there are a few other objects that have got this backwards, wrong way around orbits. And so the same scientists are actually looking at some of these as well to see whether you can, uh, b because of their orbits, you can actually designate these as alien asteroids. Um, the It's really interesting stuff. There's a comment, let me see if I can find it, um, by the, uh, the principal researcher, uh, of this work, whose name is Fatih Namuni, Namuni, I think I'm, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Dr. Namuni said, if the solar system had a consular service and could issue visas to incoming asteroids, then Ubuamua only had a short stay visa, whereas BZ or BZ was issued a green card signifying, <laughs> signifying permanent residence. I like that anal analogue very much. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... so yeah, so very interesting stuff. It's um, and you know the the fact that it's resonant with Jupiter, it's uh, or synchronized with Jupiter. Um, it, it it means that Jupiter has almost certainly modified the orbit of this object uh, and effectively captured it into this weird orbit going the other way. Mm. So is it like is it likely to eventually smash into Jupiter or is it going to move elsewhere? I guess that's or? a possibility. Although it it may well be that. Um, you know, Jupiter's orbit is relatively circular. This thing's probably got a fairly elliptical orbit, and it may well be, and it may be inclined. I don't know the orbital details, but I think a, a collision is probably unlikely. If it's if it predates the solar system, that means it's more than 4.6 billion years old. Mm. And if it's been, uh, you know, uh, progressing the wrong way around the solar system for that length of time, it must be in an orbit that's relatively stable and not likely to collide with Jupiter. And so they are suggesting this is the oldest object in the solar system. Yeah, that's right, because, um, because it was captured during the early history of the solar system and, and you know, came from some, somewhere else. So we discovered the first of these alien asteroids you know, not so long ago, uh, and now we've found one that's been here all the time, <laughs> without noticing. Mind <laughs> you, you have to give these guys some credit. This thing is only three kilometres across, yes, and it's out at the distance of Jupiter. So it's pretty remarkable that it's found at all. Um, it needs very big telescopes to see anything. You know, to see just a spot of light from this. And it looks like they used that old uh, compare the photo method. Um, yes, that's to right. Confirm it and uh, link comparison. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's the simplest way to do it, isn't it? You just got the same star field effect, and there's something there, and then it's over there. Hello, that's something on a different. different. On a different image. That's right. Exactly how Pluto was discovered. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. All right, uh, there it is. BZ uh, doing a reverse lap of the solar system. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's been there all along. We've just only just found it. Fascinating. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts, uh, Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Roger, you're alive, sir, here also. Space Nuts. Finally, Fred, as has become our habit, 
to finish the program, we're going to answer a question. Hi there, I was driving north from Canberra this morning uh, before sunrise and saw the strangest and largest flash of light I've ever seen to the northeast of where I was travelling. Not only lasted a fraction of a second and was like a stroke of green light hued paint had crashed on the ground. Uh, I was assuming it might be some kind of meteorite and thought there might be something written about it, but alas, when I checked online later, there was nothing. I'm a big fan of the show and thought if anyone uh, would know anything about it, it would be you. Wrong. Uh, anyway, um, thanks for the great show. Graham from, uh, we're assuming, Canberra or the Canberra District in um, the ACT. What did he see, Fred? Uh, it sounds like a fireball, Graham. Um, y- you're, you're, you're right that um, very often these things happen and you never read anything about it. So we you might have been the only person who saw it. Yeah, that's right. I can't comment specifically on that. Um, I, you, I think you um, emailed us uh, back in April. And so um, it's probably, um, you know, it, it, it sounds as though it was an event that took place round about then. Uh, but what you saw was something probably the size of a football uh, hitting the Earth's atmosphere at, well, probably about 30 kilometres per second. It could be more than that. And, and burning up. Um, which is the mechanism that uh, causes meteors, uh, to, which we sometimes call shooting stars. Uh, meteors are usually smaller bits of dust and debris that hit the Earth's atmosphere, and we see them as a flash of light moving very rapidly across the sky. So what you saw was much, much brighter, as you describe it, the strangest and largest flash of light you've ever seen. Um, uh, it, it's That is a very typical description of something that's caused by, as I said, something the size of a football, much bigger than a pea, uh, hitting the uh, Earth's atmosphere. And so the, the, the burn-up, uh, as the friction of the Earth's air rubs against the outside of the of the object and heats it to very high temperatures the burn up uh, is a, a little bit slower so you tend to see them uh, lasting a little bit longer it's still as you said uh, only a fraction of a second uh, but my experience of these things and i've seen um, several you know usually when i've been observing although occasionally i've seen them just from the backyard um, they light up the landscape it's almost like a flash of lightning uh, lights up the whole landscape and you look and think was that real mm. um, because it's over so quickly but what um, is great about your description graham is the fact that you highlighted uh, the green color and that's very very typical as well and the green comes from um the fact that uh, as the object uh, hurtles through the atmosphere it not only melts and actually vaporizes itself but it also just the energy that it puts into the atmosphere excites the atmosphere itself to glow and it it's actually the oxygen in the upper atmosphere that gives this characteristic green colour. It's related to the, the green colour of the northern lights, actually, the northern and southern lights, where oh, you've okay. got the greenish. Yeah. It's basically the same wavelength of light. We, in the trade, call it the 5577 oxygen line. <laughs> 5577 is a number that relates to the wavelength of, uh, of, of the light, because it's a very specific color or wavelength uh, and it's it's bright green and so a stroke of green hued paint that's a lovely way of describing it it probably didn't make it to 
the ground. Even though often you see these things, they streak down towards the horizon and, you know, the natural thing is to think that it's actually landed just over the hill there or somewhere like that. But usually that's a perspective effect. It probably vaporized completely below and, and never got below about 30 kilometers or so. Um, the vaporization usually takes place at about 90, starts taking place at about 90 kilometers above the Earth's surface. So it does um, travel quite a, quite a long way across and yeah. down into the atmosphere. That's correct. Yeah, it does. It, um, it, it, it goes, you know, it hurtles down. I mean, you know, when you're going at 30 kilometres per second, uh, it doesn't take very long to cover that distance from uh, 90 kilometres down to 30. Well, it takes two seconds. Yeah. Uh, it's coming vertically down. Uh, but uh, one other comment, though, about this, if uh, I know, uh, I know Graham was driving when uh, when the, you know when he saw this object, uh, if you if you happen to see one when you're indoors or outdoors, I've seen them indoors with the light streaming through the through the window. It's worthwhile just pausing for five minutes because quite often you'll hear the sonic boom um, uh, that comes down. It takes four or five minutes or something to come down from 90 kilometers, uh, less to come down from 30 kilometers, but uh, this double bang, and it's really quite spooky. I've, I think I've only heard that once, and I was listening specifically for it because I'd seen a fireball. Um, uh, and it, it, it's just a strange thing. You just hear this dull thud, and you realize that what you've heard is something passing through, something from outer space passing through the atmosphere. And by the way, just finally, I threw in the word fireball there. A fireball is really just a bright meteor. It's a very bright meteor that lights up the landscape, and that's exactly what Graham saw. Yeah. Now, was, is this likely to have been some kind of rock, or could it have been space junk falling back into the, into the atmosphere? So space junk behaves very differently ah. because it's typically moving much more slowly. Um, it typically re-enters at eight kilometers per second. So that's, you know, only a fraction of what natural space debris is entering the atmosphere. So, so it would burn orange or something. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have the same. What what you see is usually the debris itself burning up, rather than the excited atmosphere. So you don't see that greenish colour. You tend to see something that's orange. Often it's got a tail behind it. But the, the real characteristic is that its progress across the sky is much slower than the progress of a of a of a natural, you know, meteorite a meteor. So there you go, Graham. You saw a rock. You saw a rock, that's right, but it's a very unusual rock. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> when I initially read Graham's question, my first thought was the phenomenon known as the green flash, which uh, yeah. has been seen uh, at sunrise and sunset on the horizon, uh, just a brief moment where the sun dips or just before it rises or something causes a, a green flash. You're aware of, of that particular of phenomenon? Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought he saw. Yeah. No, this was this, and it was dark when he saw it because it was before sunrise. So it, it, it must have been quite spectacular. Um, I, I I quite enjoy fireballs. As I said, I've seen one or two, and they're, they're always it, it's something unexpected. It comes at you from nowhere, and you think, "Wow, that was sensational." The green flash. Um, is caused by refraction in the Earth's atmosphere. And it's, it is a real phenomenon. I've seen the green flash as well a number of times. Uh, we should talk about that sometime. Yeah, okay. but it's, it's something that you've got to be in the right place at the right time in the right conditions yeah. to see. It's not, uh, it's not an right. absolute. It's, um... and, 
and you've got to be looking for it too. It's not like the you know a fireball which takes you by surprise and takes your breath away. Mm. The green flash never does that. No, but I, I think a few people over the years have managed to get a photo of it, which oh, is yeah, extraordinary. Right. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. All right, thank you, Graham. Hope we uh, answered your question. I, I think uh, I think Fred managed to do that just for once. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> thank you again, Fred. Always a pleasure. Great to talk to you, Andrew, and um, we will talk again soon. Indeed. Uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And uh, from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you for listening. Uh, Don't forget to tell your friends, share us on Facebook, uh, put your reviews on iTunes, um, all that stuff that, you know, that techno stuff that I'm starting to get too old to understand now, really. Uh, But we do hope you will join us again next week for another episode of Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com.